And what I found really marvelous in data or technology, it, it allows us to really dedicate yourself to your creativity and to your core value, being outside of the tracks, outside of the lines and be trailblazer and really inventing and promoting something really new. It is no secret, often the fashion industry struggles to find the right balance between technology and creativity. For creatives, it seems daunting to adapt to new technologies, and for others, relying on creativity can seem very out of their comfort zone. However, what happens when these two sectors join forces? For this episode, I welcome Julie Pont, Fashion and Creative Director, and Jean Velo, Chief Technical Officer at Heretech. Two experts who managed to create a common language between two seemingly disconnected expertise resulting in a marriage between fashion and technology. An example of how data can act as a bridge of communication between the two, breaking boundaries between them. Hi Julie, hi John, and thank you so much for joining us for this first episode. So, Julie, can you explain us a little bit about your role and what are you responsible for? Hi, Macarena. <laughs> uh, I'm the Fashion and Creative Director at Uritech. That is to say that I'm leading two distinct teams. The, one is, the first one is the creative team in charge of the artistic direction, brand image of Uritech. So it's this from uh, your, our template. So things that are really related to graphic design and branding. And the second one, the most important one for this uh, podcast series is uh, the fashion team at Uritech. I'm in charge of uh, all these parts uh, with, the, with the management of six people. And what about you, Joe? Can you tell us a little bit about your role? So, yeah, so I'm, as a chief technical officer, my role is to supervise every technical aspect of Uritech. So working alongside all of the tech team leads, I prioritize in our tech initiative uh, in the roadmap and make sure that we tackle each initiative in a, in a smart way. So basically my job is to find a way to, to build what we want to have at Retech. Um, and sometimes it's easier than, than others, but yeah, for now we always manage to find some smart solution, some smart tech solution uh, to build what we want to build. Okay, so we could say that you two are on both sides of the coin, one as a fashion expert and the other as a tech expert. But in which ways does your job meet? And do you think this is the case in every fashion company? Um, <laughs> yeah, we're the same part. <laughs> we are two different part of the same coin, I agree. <laughs> but it's, a, it's a long-term project to actually find a way to, to speak the same language. And uh, it was maybe the, the biggest challenge I faced when I arrived at Uritech. Uh, it was to make understandable all the aspects, the very specificities of the fashion industry for people that were completely uh, stranger to this in industry. And uh, the contrary is completely average because uh, for a fashion professional, it's really hard to understand the complexity and the technicity around Eurotech uh, uh, technology specifically. And it's, um, yeah, it's a daily job to make those both, both sides to, to work together and to understand uh, each other. I would say understanding each other is the, the main challenge, but I think uh, that we're managing here 
<laughs> because we we try our best to build bridges uh, between uh, teams and to allow people to explain and to communicate about their uh, jobs uh, that allow us to have more and more um, understanding of everyone's uh, task and role within the company. Maybe, Jean, you want to add something about our <laughs> long time journey together. <laughs> a collaboration. Yes, I think on the technical uh, aspect, it's a challenge to uh, make people understand what's easy to do and what's very complicated or impossible to do sometimes. And because uh, uh, Julie's team, of course, uh, will have a lot of needs, I would, would like to have a lot of different features and can we have that? Can we have that? And sometimes it's very easy and sometimes very complicated. So we have to, to read, uh, explain what's complicated to what's not complicated in the tech roadmap because sometimes it's not that hard to help, to help them. But um, I think there's also um, a good part for, um, to some extent, Julie's team is also one of the, our first clients of our data. So I guess there's a lot of discussion through the data that we can provide with Julie's team, as you make a lot of re uh, you are making a lot of reporting and using our data to uh, to make those reports, and I, I think on that your team Julie is really the one that making the bridge between the fashion industry and the knowledge of the fashion industry and the data that Eurotech can provide. Okay, so from what I'm hearing, you know that it's a struggle for companies to find a common language between creatives and analytics, as they both have different perspectives. But still, you seem to manage it well. So do you have any insights of how you create this marriage between your teams or how you manage to find this common language between you two? I think the key, key points of this is to create a lot of uh, rituals that allow them to actually talk to each other. Because if you, if you stay to be in a parallel roadmap without any point of touch point, I would say, it's useless because they need to spend time together to really under understand challenges and uh, issues and limitation of their own scope. And also uh, to learn uh, everyone's language because we have our own terms, they have theirs. And it's sometimes very difficult to make them understand what is important for us and the same for them. So spending time together with the team building, seminars and uh, weekly rituals is key. And also, um, it's it's really important to act like um, what I like to say is to act like a um, Troy horse, not to impose something, but to infuse something. It's really subtle. But if you come along with someone who has habits for years to work with something, and now you say, this is the way you need to do it now. Uh, starting today, you need to use this data. Starting today, you need to to use this very specific vocabulary from fashion industry, it will not work. You need to step by step infuse your point to people and to make them understand the advantage they have in this process. Um, I speak for my team, using data was not really intuitive because there are people that are more oriented by to creativity, they are super intuitive and um, we, we need to work together to make them trust the data and to really uh, know and learn how to use it at their advantage, backing their intuition, exploring new fields, uh, finding uh, arguments to prove their uh, gut feeling. And it was uh, something really interesting because I really observed 
new jobs, new fashion jobs being creating within my team. Because uh, when you compare to, I would say, traditional fashion company, those positions, fashion analyst or fashion product curator, doesn't really exist because there are people that are actually, like Jean said before, the first client of our own data and our own platform. And it was really a work of step-by-step, yes, infusion. So I've received this question many times, so I'm always curious to know what other creatives think. So Julie, what is your answer when creative people believe that AI or other technologies is here to take over their jobs or their creativity? I've seen it's a, it's a common fear in the industry. I always answer one thing is at the very roots of every AI, there is a human being that need to teach this AI to be intelligent. So <laughs> it's not for today nor tomorrow that AI will replace any human beings on earth. So for this very specific, uh, would say human aspect, creativity, that for some philosopher and scientists that really define the human being species uh, different from the animals, for instance, uh, it's so difficult to mimic. It's so difficult to replace that there is no way for now for creative people to fear AI. And um, again, I usually use the Troy Horse methodology to make them understand that it's not a threat, but something that could be useful for them. And um, I share also my past uh, experience as as a fashion designer or as a creative person. We needed to make uh, some other people that were completely uh, stranger from my creativity uh, background that uh, my intuition and my feeling were something they needed to follow. And I have no, I had no, at this time, no, no way to make them understand and to make them come to my own points. I didn't have any data to prove my intuition. I didn't have any figures to say, okay, this is going to be trendy. This is something you need to follow. So whenever I, I found some designer that is reluctant to actually trust our data and to say, oh, no, I don't want my job to change. I don't want to be replaced by an AI. Data is not something that need, fun, is to drive, is to drive uh, creativity. Uh, a driven creativity is not creativity anymore. I would say, okay, but a creative that is not able to actually put on lights under the spotlight is creativeness and the product is imagining. It's, um, it's something that is already dead. Uh, Yves Saint Laurent used to say that uh, a clothes that you're not wearing is something dead. So a clothes that doesn't even exist because you didn't make your point in front of a merchandiser, in front of someone who is in charge of the commercialization or financial part is something that will stay in your notebook or in your head. And there is nothing worse for a creative person. And for you, Jean, that you are on the other side. You are the one who's bringing the technology. Have you ever struggled to convince creatives to use your data or maybe to just adapt to new technologies? Well, um, I I guess it's always, I mean, that's what you talked about, Julie. Um, First, you need to convince that our data is useful to be able to optimize um, uh, their collection, to optimize what they are producing. And I think the value is mainly there into the, the 
for the collection planner to be able to plan their collection in advance and to make sure that it will correspond to the market and things like that. So I guess when we talk about creative people um, in the fashion industry, I would say we still have some more analytical people that are linked to the business side and some more creative people that want to uh, have their intuition backed up or to, to be able to create some new things. That's what you, Julie talked about just, just before. Um, I'd, I'd say we are mainly trying to convince the business side first and then to create a product that can also boost the, um, the inspiration of creative people. So Julie, as a creative yourself, how do you find the right balance between technology and creativity? Has it impacted your creativity in any way? Uh-huh. Um, it allows me maybe to create something that was really innovative. That is to say, uh, one of the, the most important bias that creative people have is to have the same source of inspiration. And usually what I said to our clients that were wants to be ahead of the trend or really, really niche market or really, really creative is that they can use data to be against the market. If there's something that is already growing on our data or very visible on our mood boards, it's also a good indicator to be really, really creative. Because what I felt when I was a designer is was I was kind of repeating myself because lack of time, uh, lack of time to be really inspired, really creative. And what I found really marvelous in data or technology, it's, it allows us to really dedicate yourself to your creativity and to your core value, being outside of the tracks, outside of the lines and be trailblazer and really inventing and promoting something really new. Because what I, what I, what I found really sad about creative industry, sometimes it's their uniformization. You propose the same thing to the same person or to different person. And at the end of the day, everyone is wearing the same for the fashion industry. And uh, everyone has the same uh, home decoration. Everyone is reading the same book because we do not have time to really focus on something that is relevant for our own core value, creativity. The data allow I would say creative mind to defocus from uh, market efficiency or uh, merchandising or things that are really more oriented to marketing. If you use data, you know that this is something that is already trending. This is something that is already present. So if you want to be ahead of the trend, you need to innovate and to be more creative. So that's how I, our technology modify my approach of creativity, I would say, in a way. So Julie, in your opinion, how can brands approach the data-driven industry, but without losing the creative foundation? Oh, there is actually uh, several ways they can, uh, they can follow. The first one is to optimize the collection. So they will target better, more precisely people. So it allows them to, to be more daring with the design they want to propose to have less leftovers and dead stock so less sales so more revenue uh, so there is all this part of optimization the second uh, field you can um, explore as a brand is what i mentioned before is the creativity to unleash your creative uh, creative mind creativity really to open all the gates and say okay guys we are back with the data we know where we are to stand if we want to be really ahead to the market so go and refuse uh, something that is not uh, creative enough. So maybe it could empower a bit more the creative industry. 
And the other one is to is also to to be aware of the the, the competitivity on your industry and uh, how to navigate through uncertainty when you have a crisis when you have someone uh, who is addressing a new geography. For instance, some brands are going uh, to open uh, retails uh, shops uh, in country that they don't really know. And uh, it's super convenient to deeply understand the culture of a country you want to sell fashion in because it's so related to the culture of the people that are wearing your clothes. It's so related to their body, their, um, you know, their habits, that if you are not able to deeply understand your consumer, you, you might miss uh, your, um, your opening or your launching. So this is maybe the three pillars that I see for uh, the brands to use uh, technology and data. Join the technology used by Heretech for trend forecasting. Can you explain us in a simple way how the algorithm works? Basically, at first, we learn how to learn, we teach some algorithm how to detect the specific attributes and clothes that we want to detect in an image. So, um, and then we analyze millions of images uh, in different locations, different continents, different countries. Um, and using that, we can aggregate um, everything into timelines, seeing for each trend how it evolved through time. So that's the first part. So then we have the evolution for the past five years of each trend, and then we try to forecast it. And we have a specific algorithm uh, for forecasting all of those time series. So we have image recognition, we have a lot of different images uh, uh, in specific location, and then we have the time series and the forecasting in the end. I don't know if that makes sense. I can go into way more detail than that, but I guess for a podcast, it's enough. Yes, it was very clear. And Julie before mentioned data insights. Can you explain us in simple words what are these data insights? Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, so data insight. Um, I'm going to try to explain it but because for me, that's something that I work with on a daily basis. So sometimes you don't even know how to explain something that you're working with uh, a lot. But uh, for me, we are talking a lot about data insight because uh, all the industry are starting to really use data to back up their intuition. And, but data on its own, sometimes it's very difficult to make sense of the data that you have, basically. So you need to be able to analyze the data, be able through statistical analysis or using AI to make sense of the data and to output some uh, KPIs that make sense for your business. And all of those KPIs that you can infer from the data are data insights. And Julie, for example, when you're doing a trend report, how do you incorporate these data insights into your own work? Um, that's a very interesting question because it's the most tricky one for our side, uh, is to balance really what we see coming and that we need to learn and to <laughs> allow Jean's team to work on because uh, it's not an immediate uh, immediate job so we need time to to learn and to improve our system so uh, whenever we see a trend on the catwalk or in street style we analyze it uh, manually very traditional uh, trend forecasting uh, work and 
whatever we have kind of the slight detail that could be related to something we already have in our platform, we do it. So it could be a macro trend. So that is to say color, fabrics, material, and shape, um, mainly color and material, to be honest. And if we luckily we have already the shape, as something that is really similar because it's the same family of uh, aesthetic, the same family of products, we can relate it and link it to something we already have. We do. And then as we are able to provide uh, one year ahead turn forecasting, we associate the right data with the right geography and the right gender to the trend we saw on catwalk. And this is something that we are still doing manually for Fashion Week, but we can do it uh, with a more, I would say, industrial um, industrial level uh, with our collection matching that is automatically uh, scan and match uh, any pictures with our data. So this is how we use it uh, for the data side. And for the qualitative side, it's really like uh, our job as fashion experts to analyze, to gather together uh, trends that make sense together because they tell the same story, they belong to the same aesthetic, they belong to the same style at large. And we also provide our clients with analysis that allow them to contextualize and to better understand trends. So who is going to wear it? What is the story behind? What are the roots of this style? Uh, the, the type of person who is leading this uh, aesthetic, how we can adapt it to a DNA, brand DNA and such things. For now, it's still a human work. So it's a, also a way to to reassure and to <laughs> to calm some designer that might be threatened by our technology. <laughs> okay, so basically you are combining your own fashion knowledge and what you see in the wrong way with these data insights. Yes, and it's what we are teaching to our clients also is as Jean said, we are the first user of our, our platform. So we need to combine on a daily basis uh, our fashion knowledge, our fashion instinct with the data we are able to work with. So most of the time we have to understand it uh, deeply and even if it's uh, against our instinct we have to understand why and after whenever we analyze it deeply and whenever we have someone who explain us clearly what is behind it makes sense and we we are never really in trouble with the data it's always like aligned with our instinct it's just it's really it's really backed our intuition most of the time so Talking about the latest menswear fashion week report, was there any trend or theme that came like a surprise to you? But then after tracking its behavior on the platform, you were like, okay, this is really happening. Uh, it's a tr very tricky one is the Mary Jane shoe for men. We do not have data uh, for men to be transparent uh, on the platform for these particular uh, models. And there is a strong reason for this is that no one was expecting this trend for men because Mary Jane, it's a very girly uh, shape for shoe. But luckily, we had the data for women. So <laughs> we can make our own uh, forecast and say that maybe according to how strongly was adapted the Mary Jane for the women with all the 70s vibes, vintage vibes, maybe men going to follow the same path. But it was a very huge surprise. And I'm not sure that it's going to be prioritized for <laughs> the men's cup soon. But uh, for us, we, we, we really didn't see it coming. Can you tell me one example about a project that you have done in collaboration between the teams? The, the main time where we strongly collaborate together is the Fashion Weeks. 
and the Fashion Week report from uh, women because it's the one who, who asks for the most, the more in- attention. It's where we have the the most numerous shows. It's where we have the most information to catch and to analyze. So it's a lot of work, and we were working uh, very closely, uh, take uh, take team and fashion team because it's a time where uh, Jean uh, Jean team is able to dedicate some more times to provide data that are more granular, thanks to different uh, panels that we are building specifically for this time. And it's uh, it's something that uh, we don't put in our platform yet because it's a lot of uh, technical development and a lot of human human time uh, involved. But it allows us to compare some macro trends. So macro trend is uh, something uh, in at Uritech that means colors, material mainly, and prints uh, to to compare these macro trends between cities. So the main cities of uh, Fashion Weeks, that is to say New York, London, Mil- uh, Milan and Paris. So, but this is a very specific, uh, specific project we do twice a year for women collection. And uh, for, for this, we build a completely different panels. So with people that we know that are going to be going to attend the shows, uh, it's manually created by my team. And then uh, we work uh, hand by hand with the data team to be able to cross uh, the panels, uh, the metric we want to measure and uh, to be able to put it, uh, to make it the more clear <laughs> to our readers and the more efficient to better understand what we are, what we are attending to prove. Jean, maybe you can add something more technical in this because I have a very... <laughs> I don't know how to add some technical stuff on it, but definitely that's... The granularity you talked about for the fashion show, we really need to to take a loop and really look at uh, the fashion show's data specifically, and that's a very specific analysis. Um, rather than for um, the offer that we have and the the forecast that we do, are uh, more in the large ca- large scale. Jean, just to finish up the episode with a big question: What do you think is the future of AI in the fashion industry? I truly think that the next step. Uh, for AI in the fashion industry is to help um, this industry tackle the big challenge of sustainability and help this industry to limit the environmental impact that they have. Because this industry, we all know that uh, produces a, a lot of waste. And I truly believe that using AI to better understand the co- consumer, better understand the, the next trends can help reduce uh, the overstock and can help a transition toward a more green, a more sustainable industry. And I truly believe that uh, that's what AI should be used for in the fashion industry. Thank you for listening to this first episode of our new podcast series, When Fashion and Technology Collide. We will continue with more episodes, exploring the digital transformation along with leaders shaping the industry through creativity and innovation. I am Macarena Blanco, the fashion editor at Heuritech, and I'll be the host for this podcast series. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, you can find more content at Heuritech.com and on Instagram at Heuritech.